Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today. Yes, it is great to be here, and um, I am so glad you're with us. Um, if you're new, uh, my name is Jim. I'm the campus pastor here at the Lake Orion location, and uh, we're just excited to have you, and I'm excited to open up God's Word with you today. Um, I just wanted to make you aware of something. Have a family conversation uh, with you for a, just a quick moment. I do this a few times a year just to update you what's going on, maybe some things as us as a Woodside Bible Church of Lake Orion. If this is your home, if you're a member here, you're, you're an attender here, this is your place. This is for you. If you're brand new, hey, you can just kind of like check out for a minute, not too long, just about a minute, um, because uh, I just want to talk to us as a church family. So we brought back having bulletins again. Normally we didn't have them during the height of the pandemic. We stopped trying to transfer anything from hand to hand. So they're out there if you want one. They have message notes on the back. That's the reason why we're not taking offering with offering plates, all that kind of stuff. But in them, uh, we have information for us as people that attend the church. We're members of the church. We're part of the family here at Woodside Lake Orion. It has some announcements into that kind of stuff. But also has where we're at with our budget for the year. And just wanted to give you an update as to where we're at and what things are looking like for the future. So back when the pandemic hit, the height of the pandemic, we didn't know what was going on. So we kind of put a, a, a freeze on all of our spending and future stuff. And then coming into the summer, releasing a little bit of that. But uh, just so you know, for our budget here at the Lake Orion campus, we kind of kept it flat year after year. Normally we would have our annual celebration back in May. We would vote on our annual, uh, our annual budget as the elders would propose it. But now that's coming up in October 4th, Alex is going to give you some more information at the end of the service about that. So this year, we're just kind of moving with a flat budget going into the next year. As of now, coming through the summer, we're about $30,000 behind budget, which is not abnormal for the summer months, especially in the heart of a pandemic. So A, I just want to say thank you so much. Uh, as the pastor of this location, thank you so much for your generosity in this season. Honestly, I've said that before, but I've been blown away by the generosity of God's people in this place. Not even just this, but how we've been able to empower people in our communities to be able to be the hands and feet of Christ because of your generosity. And also, I say it as a moment of calling us to, to be faithful as well. If this is a place you call home, if this is your church, if you're a member here, you know, God calls us to be generous with our finances, and it shows us where our heart is, not only within the church, but generous in the world around us, to friends and neighbors and others. And so if this is your home, hey, I would call you to get involved in that way. But thank you so much for being generous. It has seriously been unbelievable. When you go to be a pastor, no one ever sat you down and taught you a class about how to lead and be a pastor in an international pandemic. And um, it has been an interesting season but I am so uh, glad and I've been so happy to the faithfulness of God's people. Even when we didn't gather for three months, man, it's unbelievable to see what God has been doing. So thank you, and I praise God for what he's doing and continue to do in our church. So with all that said, First Peter, if you want to turn there, First Peter chapter 1. We're starting a new series today called Unshakable. Unshakable, steadfast hope in an unpredictable world. I don't know if that uh, per, uh, portrays what we're living in. Um, but I am excited about looking at First Peter over the coming uh, weeks and months as we enter into the fall season with all of the things going on, all the things coming up. I am hoping that you will find yourself in the pages of First Peter and see how it doesn't speak to the relevance in our own lives. And I want to do that for just a moment. 
I just want to read a couple excerpts from some articles to kind of get our blood flowing a little bit as to what we're going to talk about. Maybe this is the way you feel, or maybe you could relate a little bit with this. And so uh, I was looking at one article that's kind of portraying the state of humanity where we are right now in the United States uh, from the Atlantic. It says this, I was depressed before all of this, now what? The pandemic has been, uh, ver- has been variously described as a mass trauma, a collective grief, and a feeling like it's the end of the world. In a recent poll, the Kaiser Family Foundation found that nearly half of Americans have seen their mental health impacted by the coronavirus. All we can do right now, no matter how we are struggling, is to try and get through it, as they write. Here is what is helping me, working with my hands in any way that I can, allowing my brain to um, momentarily forget about what's going on, growing vegetables, signs of new life, participating in local mutual aid to remember we aren't powerless after all. Reading poetry also helps. And sending friends letters and receiving mail in return is a tangible reminder that connection continues despite physical distance. That's what one person wrote. Another wrote this on CNN's page in June. Feeling hopeless after a tough week? Then here's five, five things you can do that may help. Acknowledge your feelings and put a label on them. Connect with others. Get involved. Be kind to yourself. Acknowledge the good. Now, what that, that article, other article was, was writing, it wasn't bad stuff. This list isn't necessarily bad, but it's, it's not a bad list, but it's certainly human-centered at best as to how to walk through all that we're walking in. And what we're seeing in all of this is that people want progress within human flourishing without the presence of God. They want to actually experience the kingdom of God without the king. What all people are longing for is hope, but an anti-Christian revival of hope. Almost a utopia here on earth without the presence of God. I mean, one other thing I read, another study seems to support this to these same conclusions as the USA Facts reported that 48%, 48% of Americans are feeling down, depressed, and hopeless during the COVID-19 pandemic. That's a large percentage. That's a lot of people. And so I just ask you this morning, as we jump into talking about hope within 1 Peter, is hope dead? Is hope gone? Or is hope just nothing more than accepting our meaningless, inevitable fate while trying to find a little bit of temporary purpose, joy, and beauty in being a different, a decent person? That's all we're looking forward to. Before I die, I just want to make a small impact. I want to have a little bit of joy leave things better than I had, and find some identity in somewhere. Can I tell you something, friends, and just be honest, I'm going to try to be honest and maybe even push on your buttons a little bit today, is that the silver lining of this season, which has been filled with all kinds of political upheaval and racial upheaval and global uncertainty, all kinds of violent instability, the people are realizing that their progressive visions don't deliver on what they promise. That Generally, people thought that everybody was moving in the same general good direction and swimming up the same street and embracing the same views and looking forward to a human utopia society full of personal fulfillment and pleasure without God. And in this season, it's being exposed as a failed experiment that has led to more chaos, isolation, and hopelessness. 
And, and what I want to show us today is that Jesus is our living hope. I know that seems super rudimentary, seems super like baseline, but I think that so many times we need to be reminded of this because the world is looking for hope, looking for meaning, looking for community and all kinds of different things. And can I tell you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is, a, is exactly what offers all of those things. It offers hope, it offers joy, it offers meaning, it all offers all of the things that the society, that many times even we fall ourselves into, that we are longing for. And what I want you to know today is that Jesus is our living hope. So if you're looking or searching here today for meaning, you have good news for you. It's the gospel. If you're here already today and you've received the gospel, I want to re-expound to you how Man, you can have hope in a world that maybe you feel a little bit disconnected from and realize that God doesn't leave us without any hope. He doesn't leave us without a guideline. He gave us this beautiful guideline right here that will speak to the way we are called to live in situations like this. So, quick question. Then we're going to dive into the text. What do we need to do when we are struggling to find our footing because we realize that we have been displaced? That, that we've been displaced. That maybe you're suffering for your beliefs. Maybe you feel a little bit exiled. Maybe you feel like, man, what was once called good is celebrated now. Uh, um, what was not called good is now celebrated. Is now what you stand for and what you believe may be called religious radicalism or extremism or dangerous bigotry. That maybe you feel, if you're living for Jesus, a little bit displaced in the world that you're living in. Well, welcome to 1 Peter. That's exactly the way the people felt in 1 Peter, that they, as Peter wrote, Peter was writing to tell them they have an unshakable hope as he's writing to a group of people that are scattered out all over modern-day Turkey, and the climate around them is that they are being called to have hope. And I want to touch, as we're going to see today, hope is not a passive thing. Hope is an active thing. Hope is something we practice. It's not just something we believe. We don't just say, man, I hope. You know, it's something that we live in, that, that flushes out in the way that we live and how we function and how we, we express and how we, how we live in our marriages and how we live in the culture around us. It's something that's actively participated in. So if you read with me the first five verses, we're just going to see a few things today. The first thing is that we're called to praise God, praise God that heaven is secure. And I can have hope today. I hope you know this baseline today. You can have hope today because heaven is is secure. It's not something that comes up or down. It's washed away by whatever climate we're living in. It's secure. Look with me in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied in you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, for he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is inexpress or imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's guarded in heaven for you and for me if we know Jesus who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Praise God 
that heaven is secured. It's not something we can lose. Man, when you first read this, there's no mistaking who wrote it. It's Peter. Peter says it's Peter as he writes it. Now think about who's writing. This is Peter that walked on water. This is Peter that denied Christ. This is Peter that put his foot in his mouth. This is Peter that was called Satan. I love Peter because I find myself in Peter oftentimes. Not the Satan part, but just the rest of it. Right? And he's writing to a group of people who he calls elect exiles of the dispersion, that they are scattered, these religious people. They're spread all over modern-day Turkey. Now, he calls them something interesting. It's called elect exiles. I don't know about you. That is a very interesting phrase. It it's almost doesn't make much sense. It's, these words are strongly opposed to one another, right? On one hand... Christians are elect by God. They're picked out, handpicked by God, that these are his people. And then the other thing, they're also exiles, pilgrims, strangers, people whose address does not match the people around them. Do you know that? If you are a follower of Jesus today, you're an elect exile. You're someone who's loved by God, been set apart by God as the people of God, but also you're someone who does not belong to this world. You do not belong here. If you feel like you belong here, maybe you don't belong to Jesus because this is not your home. You're a pilgrim, a stranger, an exile, he says. It's so weird. It's almost like up is down. It's encouraging, but I don't know. Not encouraging. It's glorious, but uncomfortable. It's weird. First, he, he says that you're elect, right? And he expresses it in this amazing, triune, mind-blowing way with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit when he says, it's the glories of who we are according to the foreknowledge of God. Can I tell you today that God the Father knows you by name? No matter who you are today, here, he knows you with a personal and intimate love, a fatherly love. The God before time knew you. He holds you and he loves you. Not only that, the Father, it's, a glories, it's the glories of being in the sanctification of the Spirit. Sanctification literally means to be set apart or consecrated by the Spirit for a particular time or moment. And then lastly, it's the glories of being set apart for obedience to Jesus Christ, right? So we've been chosen by the Father. We're being made more into the likeness of Christ, being set apart by the Spirit, following, being empowered to follow the ways of Jesus and being empowered and filled to be fulfilled by the blood of Jesus. I mean, it's just amazing the way he writes. What a glorious, triune, make your head explode because it's too wonderful to comprehend description of what we have in Christ that is who you are as an elect follower of Jesus. But you're also an exile. You're an exile. Literally, you've been adopted by God, but according to God, enemies according to this world. You're children of God, but chastised by the world. Friend of God, but foes of the world. I wonder if anybody feels that way in the way the world is right now. I wonder if you feel like an exile in this season. The things don't seem to be the way that they're supposed to be, the way that the world is going. If you feel like, man, I don't feel comfortable in this world. Sometimes that would make us feel weird. Like, I don't feel, it feels like there's unrest in my own spirit. Can I tell you in just encouragement that if you are living in the world today, you should feel as though this is not your home. You are longing for a better place, and it's only found in the hope of Jesus, right? And you notice what Peter says, that 
God's mercy has done this for us. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That if you know Jesus today, you've been spiritually reborn into something new. He says, this living hope, can I just declare for you today, no matter who you are, no matter what you're experiencing in the world, no matter what's coming down the pipes in the fall, the hope that you have, if you have placed it fully in Jesus, is a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's not something that comes up and down by circumstances or political climates or whatever's going on in the world. It's a living, active hope because it's not put in a thing of this world. It's put in a person whose name is Jesus. It's a living hope that when Christ rose from the grave, he overcame sin, death, and hell, and anything that could come against us. So my hope is fully placed in Jesus because it's not just a feeling, it's a person that my hope is placed in. He says it's an unshakable fact. It's not an insecure expectancy. It's not like I've said before and I've joked about it. I hope the Lions win the Super Bowl this year. That is a false hope. <laughs> it's not hope. That's like dangerous. I don't know. This is talking about like a, a living hope that is not like some insecure expectancy. It's an unshakable fact. Did you read what he says in the text? It's been freely given an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. Nothing's getting to it. It's protected by God, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That the salvation that you have now, which we're going to get to in a moment, will be fully experienced and it's being guarded for all time. That in the last time, when you see, when you see Jesus face to faith, you will experience it fully. It's not unshakable. It can't be, it can't be taken it's guarded by God. Praise God that heaven is secured. Again, let's just be honest for a moment. The current or the greatest pandemic in the world are people, philosophies, policies, and other things that overpromise and underdeliver. And it's been happening for all of time. They're all of these things that overpromise yet under-deliver. So how, how do you deal with disappointments in the world that we're living in? Because there's going to be many of them. Because some people, man, they just lose hope altogether. Some people are just like, man, I, I just feel hopeless. I don't think anything's ever going to be better. I don't think, man, it, I've just lost hope. Once they realize that they're chasing after success and pleasure in things that will never deliver. They'll never give them identity and meaning. It's the same thing with each one of us. Many times we fall away from putting our hope and our fulfillment in Jesus. We chase after other things that we think will give us meaning and give us fulfillment, but they overpromise and underliver. And what do you do when you feel the constant pressure to pursue the life you see all over social media but realize you'll never get there because it's a fantasy because everybody posts their best life? And it's an over-promising, under-delivering thing that we see every day. And we wonder why isolation skyrockets, depression skyrockets, anxiety skyrockets, suicide skyrockets, tribalism skyrockets, fear skyrockets. Because people are going to put their hope in something. We are made to put our hope in something. The, the problem is, is we put it in the wrong thing. 
We are made to put our hope in something outside of ourselves. It's how we were built. So when the object of someone's hope fails, they find a new place to put it. And faith in the world around us has been knocked off the pedestal of something to put your hope in. And it's been replaced by other things. So eventually we realize, man, even if we place our hope in ourselves, that that is not a good enough place. So where do we put it? Can I just press on you for a moment? We put it in things like politics. That my hope is in politics. And the culture ends up around us, the world around us ends up asking politics to do things that we'll never be able to do, like provide meaning and purpose and identity. And it overpromises and underdelivers. In the season we're living in, that's what we're living in. Because politics or a person or a spouse or children or relationship can never be your savior. It can never sanctify you. It can never bring about the fruits of the promises that Jesus promises to deliver. But man, you, you oppose that to what we have in Christ? It's amazing. We find there we have a story. We find we have meaning, a purpose, identity. We're known. We're loved. We've been chosen. We're secure. We've been promised heaven and it will never pass away. So just let me ask you, if, if your life is meant to be a picture of praise because you know who you are and whom you are, whom you are, what does that look like for your life? Does your life look like someone who knows who you are in Christ and whom you are? That you are owned by Jesus and you are known by Jesus. Because I feel, as I said in the first service, and I had to wrestle with this myself, that I feel as though there needs to be a little bit of confession within the church. A confession of God's people where we have placed our hope in people, in philosophies, in policies where they were never intended to be placed. And get back to a place of saying, man, God, I've attached my, my, my whole purpose to, um, to this or meaning or identity to human institutions all the while. Christ, you're the only one that is meant to give me hope. You're the only one that's meant to give me identity. You're the only one that's meant to give me meaning. You're an exile, but you're also known and loved by God the Father so much that he gave his son your home is waiting for you. It is not here. It's held for you. It's kept for you by Christ. You're an elect exile. Praise God for that. Let's place our hope solely in Christ. Look at verse 6 with me. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, which is key, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So one day. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Anybody agree with that? Though you've never seen him. I've never seen Jesus, but I love him. Though you've never seen him, yet you love him. 
Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So the second thing we see is praise God that our suffering reveals our faith. I don't know about you, but I love, I love Peter's honesty here. I love that he can just be pretty honest. Trials are terrible to experience. Can I get an amen? amen. Maybe some of you out there, you're like, man, I just love trials. I didn't hear many amens in this section. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, trials are, are terrible. They're not good. They produce grief. And I just want to tell you, it's okay to be grieved by trials. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to fight for joy when you are suffering. We can acknowledge the pain of our experience. We can be honest about how awful and disheartening and discouraging seasons of life can be. Read the Psalms. We can be honest about, man, lamenting about to God what it looks like. Like so many, man, if you meet somebody that is like, man, Jesus, God told me to rejoice in my suffering. It's so good. That person is crazy. I'm kidding, but that's not what he's saying, rejoicing in your trials. It's not like, I mean, it's so great to be in a trial. I love this. It feels so good. That's abnormal. Rather, there's a reality of struggling and wrestling and walking and, and man, and just and, and walking through it and lamenting because here's the thing. When you lament, lament leads to an awareness that we are not yet home. It leads to awareness that we are still exiles, that we are made for this place. And all of what we're experiencing here is temporary until one day we see where we are supposed to be for all of time. If things were perfect here, you wouldn't need to go somewhere else. If things were just jolly and great here without any trials or suffering or brokenness, you would never long for another place. But he says, for a little while, you'll experience these things. This is why, I'll tell you, man, many times people get like, oh my word, there's Jim and Alex again. They're talking about community groups. We get it. This is why. Because you're meant for community. You're meant to not carry your burdens alone. You're meant to be reminded by other people the common hope you have in the midst of all the craziness in the world that you're experiencing right now. You're meant to pray for one another. You're meant to walk with one another. The, after the first service, a, a guy that's been coming to our church for a long time, hasn't been here for a while, and, and I, he came up to me and I prayed with him with tears running down his face because he has been away from community for a while. And he's walking through some really overwhelming things. Because he's not meant to walk alone. He's meant to walk with other individuals. And recognize here that Peter's not talking about every type of suffering, right? He's specifically addressing suffering that results from our bold proclamation of Christ. Oftentimes, we apply this to every trial we experience. We're like, Jim, this week I was driving down the road, and I blew a tire, and I'm like, Lord, I know this is a trial. I'll rejoice in this. That's not a trial. That's a blown tire. Okay? What he's talking about is specifically suffering and trials, what they're experiencing. They're dispersed because of their bold witness for Jesus in the world that they're living in. The world doesn't like what they have to say about Jesus, so they are being persecuted. What he's saying is it's impossible to follow Jesus and not stand out. 
Can I just be, I'll push on you a little bit more. If you don't stand out in the world that you work in, you live in, and you do life, if you look like everybody else, you talk like everybody else, you experience life like everyone else, we need to have a conversation. Because God is pressing on us. We are people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are people about God himself. And we're called to live in a certain direction. We're called to love in a certain way. We're called to live in such a way that makes us stick out and look different. But in our culture, there's a lot of different Christians. There's a lot of Christians, they look like Christians. They swim like Christians. They quack like Christians. But when trials come, our faith, mine included, or lack of faith, is revealed. That trials reveal the focus of our trust, where it's placed, and where we have been focusing it. One of the biggest questions you get when people walk through a season of trials is, why, God? Why is this happening? It's great. Peter gives us the answer. What's the point of all this? He actually gives us the reason that fires reveal our faith. What kind of faith? Faith and love for Jesus and the worship of Christ and the hope of Christ. So going through a fire actually refines us, according to the text. It purifies us. It deepens our convictions uh, that Jesus is our living hope. In the season of trials, it only amplifies the fact that my hope is in Jesus and not of this world. It refines me. It makes me new. And none of this should be, resp- or should be like a surprise to us. Sometimes... I feel like, myself included, I forget sections of the Bible, right? Because I'll read a couple passages for you for Jesus. This shouldn't be um, surprised to us by any means. Luke 10, 3, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Thank you, Jesus. Appreciate that. Very encouraging. John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Remember what I just said? If you look like the world, you feel like the world, you feel comfortable in the world, it's not the way it should be. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I'm not saying when you go to work, everybody should be like, I hate that guy, he's a Christian. Remember, The word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Thanks, Jesus. You're the best encourager. Matthew 24, 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my sake. Well, let's just end on that note. Wonderful. Here's the thing. You may be walking through a season of being overwhelmed, trials, potentially persecution, right? And you and I might not love God's methods, but at least he's a practitioner of his own methodology, right? At at least he suffered himself, and he revealed that the focus of of his trust was on the Father as he walked through his suffering, right? His suffering brought about salvation, but somehow in the midst of all of his suffering, he had joy, 
focusing on what was in front of him. Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Can I tell you, if you're walking through a season of trial, if you're walking through a season feeling overwhelmed, feeling anxious, feeling worrisome, feeling all of these things in the season, which many people are, according to statistics, almost 50% of people, the only way we can experience joy in the midst of suffering is by looking ahead to what the outcome is not focusing on what is happening right then. If you're suffering, be honest about the fact that there is no joy in the suffering, but realize there is joy to be found in the outcome. What brings about it? Look ahead, friends. Lift up your heads. See where your help comes from. Jesus, who is your living hope. The last Quickly, verse 10 and 12, praise God that salvation has come. It's here, it's now. Concerning this salvation that he just talked about in verse 10, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be, our, to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. So the prophets of Old Testament, they... They inquired, they looked at all these things, right? In verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the future, in the things that have now been announced to you through Christ, through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Man, praise God that salvation has come to you and to me, to all of us, all of us who would call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Even though the Old Testament prophets did not clearly see when their prophecies were going to be realized, they didn't know exactly how it was going to come about, they did foretell that Christ would suffer and that he would be glorified. And here's the deal. We, you and I, are the recipients of God's redemptive promises. The waiting's over. We've experienced it. They were looking to the future. We are looking to the past. We've experienced it. Jesus has come. Good news has come. Forgiveness has come. Grace and glory have come. Life has come. Hope has come. We have it right now. It's not one day. It's not one day that I look for. Like, man, I'll have hope when I see Jesus for all of time. Man, I'll have joy one day when I'm skipping down the, 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 the streets of gold. No, right now. Everything we have in our Christian life is already but not yet experienced. I already can experience joy and hope and goodness and salvation and a relationship with Jesus, but not yet have I fully experienced joy and hope and a relationship with Jesus until I see him face to face, but I have it right now. I'm walking in it. I'm living in it. You and I have salvation right now if we know Jesus. So I want to ask you, I don't know everyone in this room, some I recognize, some I don't. Have you responded to Christ in faith? I don't care, and I say this with respect, I'm not saying I don't care. I don't care how many times you've come to church, what church background you grew up, how much money you've given, how many things that you've done for God, what, what religious rhetoric you did because a church told you to do it. I don't care about any of that stuff. I don't care how much money you've given to this church. I don't know how many times you've served. I don't care if you've endured something or this or that. That is not what I'm asking. I'm asking, have you placed your 
faith and trust solely in Christ crucified and him resurrected, and you've given him, you've pushed all in with all your chips, I'm giving you my life. That's what I'm asking. Have you done that? Though you haven't seen him, have you responded to him? He's the only security that will satisfy it. He's the only foundation with which we can build our lives. There's no other person, philosophy, policy, or politician that will deliver on their promises. Only Jesus. He is our living hope. We are people that should be full of hope. Our hope is alive because we know Jesus is alive. The hope of the gospel will not disappoint. Can I tell you, as we wrap up, there's not a time in my life, may, some of you are older than me, there's never been a time in my life where the world around me needs hope more. And they're placing their hope in all kinds of things. So many people are placing their hope in what's coming in the next few months. So many people are placing their hope in whether or not they find another job. So many people are placing their hope in whether or not they're going to find a spouse. So many people are placing their hope whether or not the, the stock market's going to keep rising. There, so many people are placing their hope in all kinds of different things. And the church is the place, the body of Christ is the place that should be showing the world that the only place you could truly have hope, they should be looking at us as followers of Jesus and be like, man, with all the turmoil, why don't you have anxiety? With all the turmoil, why aren't you overwhelmed? With all the turmoil, why aren't you upset? Man, because my hope is on any of those things. My hope is in Jesus and it doesn't change. And the way that I live and the way that I communicate and the way I express, the way I encourage. Are we that kind of people? Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.